out here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Akko, and I'm kicking myself that I didn't get to go to see the, um, to, to see the film we're going to be talking about today, Anonymous, at the, uh, at the, the London Rocks Festival uh, last weekend. Producer Dave. Hi, I'm producer Dave, and uh, I'm not kicking myself because I went to see it and I, I had a great time. Uh, the world cinema is interesting, but the viewing and what I saw, excellent. Yeah, we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking more and more about the about the film, and I'm going to be stewing and sitting here and stewing while producer Dave raves about all the stuff that he watched with the with, with some of the uh, the personalities who are part of the of the film. Come on to join us. Uh, we've had. Uh, this fella, come on, this is the third time he's appearing on the show. We'd love to have him more and more, more times. He's the director of the film Anonymous. Please tell us your name and maybe you can introduce the guest that you've brought with us, uh, with you on the show. Hi there, my name is uh, Alistair Mackay. I wrote, directed and produced Anonymous, the film that uh, Marcus and producer David are talking about. And I've brought with me today one of my best performers, my best actor, uh, as voted for at the London Rocks Film Festival, uh, Philip Wolf, who plays the character of Peter in the movie. Hello. Welcome, Philip. Welcome, Philip. This is the first time you're on. And obviously, um, we heard, I heard just uh, from Alistair, just before we got, uh, um, you got you guys invited, that you won an award for the film Anonymous. So Alistair's already been talking about this film um, for a while. So we're going to get him to pause for just a second. And uh, since this is your first time on the show, we would like you, we'll, co we'll come to talk to you in a second uh, when we go into the uh, spotlight section. We'll get you to talk to us about the film Anonymous, tell you know, our audience more about the film from your perspective, what you really liked about it, what you hated about it, because obviously uh, <laughs> Alistair wrote the script and directed it and whatnot. Feel free to say all that stuff and we'll back you up 100%, even though David has already uh, effused uh, you know, greatly about how how great and wonderful the film was. We can sort of avoid that. You can tell us the 
So you've got, you've got two things there already, Marcus, the writing and the direction. I mean, those are, those are the big problems that I've got right from the right from Fantastic. The That's excellent. So we're going to get you to talk a lot about that in a few minutes. Uh, we uh, will we'll have a conversation with both yourself and with Alistair about the film. We'll get David's experience. We went to go see the premiere of the film uh, the weekend has just gone. I haven't seen it. I'm going to try and find out from our two guests when I will get the opportunity and when the rest of you will get the opportunity to go and watch it. But before we do that, let's jump into film and TV news. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we're going to start filming TV news with a slight, uh, not depressing, it is depressing. Sad, we'll start with sad news and then we'll go on to happier news. First of all, uh, it was announced this week that actor Dean Stockwell, known from films such as Married to the Mob and in the what, what for me I consider one of the greatest TV shows of all time, Quantum Leap, played Al. He died this week. Um, uh, in an article from the Hollywood Reporter, it said here, uh, Dean Stockwell, whose eclectic seven-decade career, seven decades, 70 years, oof, included leading role in The Boy with the Green Hair, an Oscar nomination for Married to the Mob, and his uh, star and his starring turn on Quantum Leap has died at the age 85. He died on Sunday, uh, Agent Jay Schwartz told Hollywood Reporter, now, it's just, I saw, it was, it's kind of weird as well, because uh, for um, Dean Stockwell sort of popping back up in my consciousness recently, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was just flicking through channels and I landed on Quantum Leap. And I was like, it's been such a long time since I've seen Quantum Leap. I wanted to watch it. So I watched one episode and I just hit it, hit record. And just kept on like series linked it, just kept on watching over and over. And I've been watching, um, I, I, I've watched every single episode of Quantum Leap. I love that show. If you've never seen Quantum Leap or you've never heard about it, it's a show about it's, I was aware of this was, it was done in the 80s, um, but it was in it, was, it was done in the 80s, but it was set in 1999, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And this scientist, Sam Beckett, played by Scott Bakula. Uh, he is trying to uh, do time travel. So he jumps into the quantum machine and it transports him back in time. However, it's his consciousness that goes into other people's bodies within his timeline. And it, there, there's an issue with the machine that he can't really control where he lands or how he leaves. But what he understands uh, through from, from deducing his movements and whatnot is that He's, he lands, he enters people's consciousness in, within his timeline, so different decades and whatnot, and he is meant to do something to help that person to sort of correct history, if you will. And his only guide uh, while he leaps is Al, who's the hologram um, played by Dean Stockwell, who comes from the future, and he's, he's that connection to the future and to Sam where he is, and he's giving him information, and the only people that can see uh, Al uh, or Sam or uh, little children or animals or sometimes um, uh, maybe 
and the uh, mentally handicapped can see him as well. But it's it's a great show. And I was watching it recently over and over again. I was thinking this for the 80s was a very, very progressive TV show because yes, it had a, um, you know, two white leads who were the, they were the consistent characters in every single, consistent actors in every single episode. Um, there might've been some actors that reoccurred in other episodes, but most of the time, every episode was its own individual story cut off from everything else. Um, and there were loads of episodes where Al would jump into a character who was black, right? Or, and, and essentially, majority of that episode, in fact, one of the last episodes I watched recently, the entire cast, with the exception, obviously, of Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, were black, right? And it wasn't a story about drugs or anything. It was about a story uh, about a preacher and, and, and uh, who's raising his daughter and is in the in 50s, I believe. And she wants to be a singer, but he doesn't want her to do that. He wants her to sing for the church and so on and so forth. So it's it's like a, a fully, a, a full, a very um, a wholesome story about a an African-American family, right? And that just got me thinking, it's like, that was just one of numerous episodes where you got to sort of see actors of color on screen in the 80s on a syndicated nationally, internationally syndicated TV show. Anyway, that's me ranting about Quantum Leap. Um, it, it was just such a coincidence, a mad coincidence that I just got back into it, watching it again. It was amazing as Al uh, died recently. Uh, a lot of um, David Lynch fans would recognize him from uh, Blue Velvet, who he, he, he had a, a small role in Blue Velvet as well. Uh, but obviously that film was dominated by Dennis Hopper's performance. Um, but yeah, Dean Stockwell, amazing actor. Uh, it's a long, long career in, in film and theater. And it's a shame. Rest in peace. Dean Stockwell died at 85 this week. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. Um, I've been ram rambling about Quantum Leap. David, have you seen Quantum Leap? Yeah, I've seen it many a time. And yeah, yeah he was he was he was kind of like the uh, the amusing sidekick as well, wasn't he? He was yes, a yes. comedy relief on 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 that. And he was he uh, was was he always dressed in? No, that I'm thinking of another thing. So he was always I thought he was always dressed in white, but no, he, he wasn't. No, no, no. He 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 come in a different type, like multicolored suits and whatnot. Yeah, he was always dressed. Yeah, because he in in he was he was a a, a navy either navy or air force admiral. Um, so he so he would obviously when he'd arrive when he'd come in he'd be able to whenever it was a like a military situation he would actually have a lot of military background and experience that he could give to Sam the scientist uh, to be able to help him out in various things. But he was also like a, not only a, a womanizer, I guess, but he was on his like he always talked about his four ex wives that he would have. <laughs> Yeah. And he was also in Paris, Texas as well. So sorry. He was also in Paris, Texas as well. So um was he, you know, I haven't seen Paris, Texas. Yeah, uh, Wim Wenders, Paris, Texas, and also um the first iteration of Dune. Yes, yes, he was. He was definitely in that. Um it, it's just he's he, he was one of those character actors that dotted up uh, dotted everywhere. 
And whenever he was, you just, you know, you like every time I saw him and everything, no matter what it was, my mind always just jumped back to Al. I, I, even, <laughs> when he was playing, even when he was playing very mean characters, very bad characters, which are, a lot of times he did. He played evil characters sometimes in some films. And when he pop up, you know, this is the bad guy. Um, and he was very good at it. But in my heart, I was like, no, he's not bad. He's Al. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but he's, he's, he's passed and um, he'll rest in peace. Mm. Let's move on to uh, cheerier stories. Um, I woke up this morning and saw a tweet that made my heart a flutter, and it was amazing, that's a romantic, uh, and it was uh, a tweet from Idris Elba showing a slate of, uh, uh, for the new season of, um, of Luther. So Luther's coming back. Those of you who are fans of Luther, if you don't know what Luther is, it's a detective, hardball detective show um, on BBC starring Idris Elba as uh, DCI Luther. Um, he's, as, as always, he's a maverick. Uh, he's very smart with what he does. Uh, and, and I love the show. The show is, is for me, one of the BBC's, uh, just, just it's, it showed proper, very good, strong storytelling um, with, from the BBC, hard-hitting, uh, gritty. And it, I think it's, it's Idris Elba. It's one of Idris Elba's best works I mean, if you were to put, you would mention the, the greatest things that Idris Elba has done, you would put the wire up there. And Luther is, Luther, in my opinion, is, it is on par with the wire. Completely different character. Obviously, the wire, he's an American drug dealer. In Luther, he's a, a, a very, um, he's, he's a maverick London detective. Um, and that coat and that tie, just, just basically they, they the equivalent of indiana jones's hat and that's luther's that's that's luther's uniform if you will uh, what yeah i'm very, very much i'm sorry what came to mind was um colombo and his um uh, his, his coat his mac <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah colombo colombo's mac yeah a different style of detective but both as you know as dogged uh with their investigations although with colombo literally the moment he walks in he already knows who the killer is he just needs it the entire episode is just him trying to find the clues to confirm his uh his suspicion that is literally all colombo is he walks in he looks at it you can just imagine like that that's who it is with luther on the other hand it's not as clear-cut he works through you can see him work through do the investigation but he often bends the rules as you know, this is the stock maverick detective. That's what he does. Mm. Uh, one of the, the very first episode basically started of the show starts with um, him chasing after uh, this this perp, and he manages to catch the perp. He's uh, the perp is dangling over the edge of a very very high place. He's a he's he's someone who they know he's done some very very bad stuff, and Luther lets go of him, so he. He, he dies literally he literally kills the guy so you that immediately tells you the kind of person that luther is he's mm. not a he's not a good person objectively speaking, sounds like batman <clears throat> no batman has the no kill rule right even though a lot of the there's a, there's a college humor uh sketch which is great if you can go and check it out just go and go on youtube and type in college humor batman um no kill rule and just watch the video it is just a brilliant take on the whole idea that Batman has this rule that he doesn't kill anyone. Um, but if you watch Batman when he's fighting, and I, I don't think anybody survives. Many people survive a fight with Batman. 
but uh, yeah, so that's Luther, and it's coming back. I think it's in 2022, if I read think the, the tweet correctly. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. I think I think Luther is one of the best things that um, Idris Elba has ever has done. Um, and hey, you know, at the end day, everybody who listens to me knows that I am a huge Idris Elba fan. So I'm definitely going to be watching it. I will stay tuned, and I'll be. If any anything I hear about the show, I'll come on here and I'll tell you about it. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And this is Spotlight. And on Spotlight this week, we have the writer-director of Anonymous, Alistair Mackay, and he's brought with him the lead actor, uh, Philip Wolf, who's going to be telling us, Philip, from your perspective, what is Anonymous all about? What is Anonymous all about? Well, I don't want to give away uh, too much about the film. Um, It hangs on a a kind of a high concept, which you wouldn't want to know about until you get to the end of it, I have a feeling, which is very suspenseful. So there's certainly a a thriller quality to the the feature. I mean, to cut a a longish story short, um, it's a a film about somebody who turns up to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, um, a somewhat mysterious individual. um, And it's about his relationship with the people at that meeting, and also very much about the the relationship of the people uh, at the meeting between each other. there's, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot going on in the film. I'm just being a little bit uh, hesitant in, in giving out any spoilers. That's basically where I'm going. Okay, so we're, we'll do our best to try and avoid questions that mm. they, they will uh, get you to, unless you you pull a Tom Holland and then just drop a clang in the middle and tell us. <laughs> who'd, who'd, and and it was me that was the killer all along. And something <laughs> That's along right. the lines. <laughs> yeah, I've just I have that problem, spoiled. unfortunately. I'm garrulous. Fair enough. So I'll, I'll try to avoid some of those kind of questions. Um, so what I'm going to do first is, since I've already kind of laid the groundwork for shots to get fired, I'm going to throw it to Alistair, first of all. So Alistair, what was one of the most difficult things that you found having to work with Philip on the project? That's a great question. So um, Phil and I go back about 10 years and we actually first met um, when I had, um, for about two weeks, ambitions of being an actor. Um, very quickly moved away from that. wasn't for me. Just for two weeks. <laughs> it was two it was weeks. About, about two weeks until I realised it wasn't for me. But but um, but Phil, the first um, way in which we met, he was actually my acting coach. Um, so he coached me in, in Meisner technique um, for it's like an eight week course. I think we did. But you know, even I knew at that point this acting wasn't for me. I was just kind of going through the motions and writing at the same time. And and um, uh, and then the second film I ever directed was 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 actually at that school when I sort of segued into directing and and Phil was there as my mentor um uh, sort of a mentor as filmmaker for me so for me I think the great challenge uh, and I listened props to Phil for this was was for that sort of to be flipped on its head a little bit with anonymous with something where I was very much directing someone who not that long ago had been sort of designated as a mentor to me so it's almost like like um 
yeah, that was the, that was I wouldn't say it was a challenge because Phil made it super easy for me and I've worked with Phil before. But but that was certainly in my head because the places that I had to take him to uh, were quite dark and quite um, uh, difficult to get to. So there had to be a, there had to be a lot of trust between the two of us. Uh, and like I said, props to Phil for that, for making that so easy. So, Phil, it, as uh, Alistair just pointed out, you've known each other for 10 years. And obviously the relationship has it has a certain hierarchical structure where, as he's described, you were the mentor. And then now on Anonymous, it's now flipped. Um, be, but before then, while he was learning Miser technique and uh, trying to become an actor, what sort of techniques did you show to him um, that he can approach as a director to approach a director to approach an, an actor to make it easier for the actor to portray the character? What sort of technique did you give to him to be able to make that uh, transition work smoothly? Well, I mean, I like to think, uh, given that I've, I've run screen acting departments and I'm running a new one at the moment up in Leeds. And uh, when we were working together, it was the International School of Screen Acting, which is at Bromley by Bow Studios, which is a fully operational film studio. Um, I'm specifically an acting coach and I specialize in Meisner technique. Um, as far as the approaches and the process that I put forward to my students, they're there in order to uh, hopefully help them in terms of their acting process. And I kind of compartmentalize that two parts. There's simply a preparation part, uh, which is the bit, especially as a screen actor, you're doing at home on your own. And then there's uh, the bit which, where you're simply turning up on the set. And that means having a facility towards improvisation, towards spontaneity, towards play, uh, working in the moment. And those are two very specific skills. In both instances, they're just as important to directors or should be as they are to actors without being too mysterious about it. Mm -hmm. um, especially because very often with film direction, it's, it's, not, it's not always the case by any means that the director works with the actors that much. They're spinning so many plates on set that they have to be talking to DPs, lighting people, sound recordists, makeup people and a whole bunch of others, um, art directors, set decoration. So sometimes and understandably, the actors get left out of the process. What's great about Alistair is that somehow he's able to multitask like nobody I've ever seen. He's a human multitasking machine and he's able to give actors um, a quality of attention, which uh, I've never seen on set before uh, from a director. And I, I'd like to think, of course I would, that um, some of what we'd worked on together, you know, as, as working as his acting coach, um, hopefully has, has been of use to him in that respect and um, highlighted how important actors are on set and that it's very often forgot, forgotten that unless on a fundamental level, you're getting a relationship between two actors that is authentic and in the moment, and improvisation, all of these things, and properly grounded and properly understood, then quite frankly, it doesn't matter what you're shooting on, it doesn't matter how great the sets look, it doesn't matter how brilliant the costumes are. The thing that people actually want to watch isn't there. And um, I, I, I certainly experienced working with Alistair as my director, that, that, that he had all of these qualities in abundance. He was able to get the performance, not just out of me, but out of all the other actors on, on set as well, very much so. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. 
And I was expecting, uh, I was expecting barbs to be thrown, but it, we're, we're having a, a compliments battle here between uh, Alistair McKay, the writer, director, producer of Anonymous, and his lead actor, Philip, Philip Wolf. Uh, right now, I, I, I'm, I don't know, maybe it might build up, maybe this is just sort of like the calm before the storm. Uh, well, the Alistair, building up. Yeah, the truth's going to come out in a minute. Yeah. Exactly. Get, get a couple of drinks in you and then we'll see the truth. Will come <laughs> um, so, Alistair, one of the things that Philip just mentioned was how you were able to multitask. And I, I just reeled off. You're a writer, producer, director on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it, is, it, it is a huge task. It's an unbelievable task to be able to balance, to, to take one of those things on its own, just writing on its own. Uh, or directing on its own, or producing on its own. Each one is a humongous task in itself. You managed to do all three and elicit such compliments from Phil. What uh, sort of what were your techniques? What was what made it easier for you to be able to multitask so freely to allow your actors to be able to perform at their best, to allow your crew to work and give you what uh, producer Dave has described as a four out of five star film. What are your te- what techniques to give me advice on what you had to do to be able to juggle all three with ease? I think the key thing, um, and this comes with, with with time and experience. This isn't necessarily something that that people tell you that happens, and it happens naturally. It sort of organically happens over time. You realise the way to do things is. Um, but for me, the key thing was trusting your HODs, and by that, obviously, I mean head of the head of department. For anyone who's not in with the with the lingo um so you've got your your head of sound your your head of um cinematography a cinematographer the 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 head of the art department and um essentially that and they're the big ones and then the first ad who obviously is the head of the schedule if you like so you sort of compartmentalize and you go well actually there are only four or five people that i need to speak to not 50 and then trusting those four or five people to communicate your ideas and what you're trying and that's not it's not a perfect science i mean there's always going to be somebody that comes up to you and says can i check this and you have to have the discipline to go to go um uh you know it's not coming from my, my my dp for example i need to talk to my dp about it so i involve my dp in that conversation assuming it's coming from the camera department and then and then that then that person then knows next time go to the dp don't come to me because not because i'm being rude because i've got a job to do and rather than talking to 60 people on set I need to talk to five um, and that that in itself gives you the time and the space to then go right this is my time to talk to the actors and the other thing I would say is to um, and this is another huge criticism of, of a particularly indie film there's never enough rehearsal time so what we did with anonymous is we we, we hired the locations it was all filmed in one in one location uh, we hired the location for two extra days at the beginning one of which was for rigging and lighting uh, and that would save us time because we could pre-light a lot of the space, which meant that obviously we could do more take time, you know, a time we're actually rolling the camera, which would give us more takes uh, and make the schedule a little bit easier. But also we could then have a um, a day of rehearsal where we could do a table read with the actors in the space and get them used to the space and used to each other. Uh, and that sort of gives me an opportunity to... to um, sort of break down the script even more so than I'd done already with them one-on-one uh, and hone it. And, and what that means is that they're not coming in to the shoot completely blind, not knowing anything about what I want. They know where they're supposed to be sitting in the room. They know they're rough blocking. 
uh, and it sort of does some of the, the the annoying little tasks for you. And then you can get into the good stuff when the camera's rolling, if that makes sense. So, so basically delegation uh, to people that you trust and uh, preparation, uh, kind of tying into what, um, uh, Philip, you talked about the fact that when you um, you compartmentalize the acting process into two stages where you said uh, there's a prep uh, stage and then when you get on set, when you go and deliver. So with Anonymous, which Alistair has already told us is about addiction, how did you, uh, you know, how did you prepare to approach your character? What did you do to approach that character in your preparation? So inevitably, I mean, YouTube is a fantastic resource when it comes to preparation. And um, it's, it's, it's probably not a new thing to say that that's the go-to area when you're looking at um, researching areas that you're not entirely familiar with. So I did a lot of research on addiction, I mean, specifically alcohol addiction uh, for, this, for this feature. Um, and then also, I think when you're looking at what Alistair's written, you're trying to come up perhaps with um, something that has a more character quality to it. It can sometimes also help just looking at personalities that somehow <laughs> go freestyling it a little bit, essentially, and trying to find uh, characters or people that might have some sort of left the field connection. It's not a very kind of logical process. It's probably something I just find myself doing a little bit and seeing what comes from it. But in a more formal way, um, uh, it's, yes, uh, research on the subject matter itself and then having a preparation process. So um, having a formal way of understanding Alistair's writing and how to uh, create acting objectives, understanding where the character is coming from. And uh, it works very much actually in the way that I compartmentalize the two parts of filming. So from an acting point of view, you start looking at what the character conflict is in the scene. You then look at the character objective. So that's the character on the page, the obstacle for the character, what's stopping the character from what they're actually looking to get, simply put. And then you're shifting it over to the actor and you're asking yourself, well, what about me? How can I get this as a person from the acting partner that I'm with? And that translates to an acting objective. Um, and then beyond that, um, a parallel, something that I can find in my own life that gives me a reference point. Because I haven't been, fortunately, myself an alcoholic, nonetheless, in order to get somewhere in the ballpark area of that experience, I want to find something that I can relate to that has an emotional connection for me. So I'm looking for something that translates, something that it may not be alcohol for me when it comes to addiction, but for goodness sake, I think we all know that we're addicted to something in life whatever it may be mine's film tv that's basically it's literally a case where um i am happy to sacrifice sleep food just to be planted in front of the tv marvel mm. basically but i i'm basically i've sold my soul to the marvel apparently and disney <laughs> so it's and everybody who listens to the show knows that so tell, uh, tell, tell me about it i'm with marvel fans since i was six years old so that's, there you go I, Back in the 80s, that's when Marvel Comics for me was, that was my whole life, pretty much, and it still is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and, 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 it's, and my kids and their kids are going to be indoctrinated into the MCU if it's the last thing I do. That's exactly what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> absolutely right, to, good to hear it, good to hear it. <laughs> you're listening to Shoot the Priest on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Iaco. 
I'm producer Dave and uh, Philip, I just want to come back to you. Uh, unlike Marcus, who has not seen the film, I have. So I know yep. what your character is. And I was glad that you went through what you said just a moment ago about how you prepare for or prepared for this part. But try not to give anything away. <laughs> your part was a particularly interesting one as far as I was concerned. And as you said, you tried to find things within yourself so that you could actually bring that character to life. How difficult was that for you con considering that particular character? And I don't want you to give anything away. Um, not that you will, because you sound as if you sort of like well versed in sort of like <laughs> saying things about that. But also, secrets, yes. but also to Alistair as well, how difficult was it after after Phillips responded, how difficult was it for you to film that role as well in relation mm. to the main character as well? Mm. So first to you, Philip, and then to Alistair. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the character I'm playing, um, Peter is, uh, I think on the surface of things, and again, try not to give anything away, on the surface of things, somebody who, uh, appears quite sorted, quite settled. I mean, he's obviously at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, um, but on the surface of things, he's not much of a contributor and it appears that um, he's really there to listen to everybody else and, 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 and perhaps maybe even might come across as a, as, as a, little, a little cynical possibly uh, in relation to what he's, into what he's hearing. Um, on underneath all of this uh there's most definitely something else going on that that he's not revealing and you know as with all of us you know we we, we all have <laughs> things going on in our lives which we'd probably rather not talk about or rather not address you know the darkness that we all have within us and i think yes it's it's you know it's a, it's a great question dave because trying to access that darkness is 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 i think the price <laughs> Such, such as it is a price that you pay as an actor, that's, the, that's part of it. There has to be an interest and a fascination of going into yourself and finding what it really is that triggers you in a, in a bad way as well as a good way and, and, and every which way in between. So yes, I think, I mean, for me, when it comes to addictive qualities and negative addictive qualities um, and senses of failure, I think for me, uh, in my life, especially having to go there, um, you know, in a in a in a kind and gentle way, but a straightforward mm -hmm. one as well. I don't think you need to suffer as an actor in some kind of, you know, self-destructive way. But you've you've got to explore those areas within yourself safely, and so that's 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 where I had to go. And and I have to say that you know, Alistair even on set was able to understand that and 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 help me go further than I might have done otherwise, I think. Um, for me, one of the greatest skills an actor can show you as a director is the ability to, to put the emotion down at the end of the take and be ready to pick it back up again when you're ready for the next take. 
um, particularly for screen acting, because so much of it is take one, take two, take three, take four. Then we do a different setup and it's actually an earlier part that you haven't, because obviously you don't film it linearly. It's an earlier part of the story. So you could be filming the, we didn't as it happened, but you could be filming. Um, in fact, maybe we did. I think maybe we filled your, we filmed your, um, your, the moment where you, uh, you have your, so before we filmed the really low moments. Yeah. We did, That's in fact, right, we did yeah. do that. So, yeah. so, um, uh, you know, obviously that can be tricky uh, for an actor. So uh, as a director, and particularly with subject matter like this, you need to obviously know that, that at the end of the day, the actor understands that, yes, it has to be real in the moments, but there has to be that disconnect as soon as you say cut. And as soon as you say cut, they have to be able to shake it off and, get, and if they need a minute between the takes, they get a minute between the takes. So they've got to be able to shake it off so they can effectively pick it back up again. And I think um, when I wrote Peter and when I was certainly when I was casting Peter, Phil's name was absolutely at the top of my list because I knew he could do that because I'd seen him do it before. Um, and also because I knew that he trusted me and I trusted him. And, and when you're stepping into something like that, having that, that um, predisposition of trust between the two people involved is huge. You know, Phil needed to know that that he could go to places, um, you know, and I, I, I had his back, and then vice versa. I needed, you know, I needed to know that 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 Phil would be willing to go to those places for me. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that uh, you wrote the character and you already had uh, Phil in mind. Uh, is that something that you tend to do with your projects? Do you, when you're writing your your characters, do you have certain actors in mind? Or is it a case where you might just have a template to have an understanding as to what you're doing to follow that character? And then once you finish the script, you put it down and say, right, we're going to start casting. And then you could go for any random person. Do you write for specific people or not? So, so I always write with someone specific in mind. It might not always be an actor. It might be um, just a sort of a physical interpretation of someone because it helps me to write. So if I'm visualizing um, a, a, a human being, a character in, in, in their entirety, then I can see them as well. So, and if I can um, attribute someone in my own personal life or someone that I'm aware of visually, it helps me to write that character. Um, but once I've finished writing the script, one of the processes I, I really hold dear is that I will completely flip it. So if, for example, I've written the character as a white 40-year-old man, I will then deliberately um, have somebody read it who is a black 22-year-old girl, just to like pluck it out of thin air, because I think that's really interesting to see what that does. You just to describe the, the same person, so, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but in the case of of Peter, um, because Phil was at the first table read to read as, and he was the person I had in my head and he read it so well. I think there, it, there was one of two or three parts where I just went, there's literally no point in, in visiting any other options. This part is, if he wants it, this part is Phil's. That's, that's, that's a great, a great position to find yourself in where you have written a character that is very complex and yet you still have the uh, security of knowing that you've got a talented actor enough uh, who's, who's talented enough to be able to take that part and do it justice. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we just will, as we'll wrap up uh, the, the movie, I missed the opportunity to watch it at London Rocks Film Festival this weekend. Um, Alistair, how can people such as myself and others who are listening to this 
watch the movie uh, anonymous so that's still a little bit up in the air we've got um uh we've got plans afoot to do a uk tour uh which will be happening um potentially starting in december more realistically in january um and obviously what i can do is i can let you guys know as soon as we know the details um in terms of future screenings it's going to be screened at the east europe um film festival uh, but I don't know the exact screening dates. That's sometime in November, I think. And then that's online. So there is a way of you can buy online tickets and view it that way. Um, but in terms of seeing it in a cinema, which is really the place you, you want to see it, there'll be a UK tour in the early part of next year. It's not going to go on um, on um, uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix or, or, or any of those pl- platforms. That's the word I'm looking for. Any of those, any of those platforms just yet because we want to build the audience before we just put it on there. We think it'll just get lost in the, in, in the maze of, of content that, that's, that's on these things these days. So we, we want to build the, 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 the hype a little bit more. We got an amazing reaction from the sobriety community. We've had an amazing reaction from the film community to the premiere screening. Um, so we kind of want to build off of that and, and kind of build the buzz and build the hype a little bit more. That's fantastic. As soon as you get any opportunity, let us know. Come back on here and we'll be happy to promote it as much as we can. You're not uh, going to so miss the next one, are you, Marcus? Oh, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> even if it's the East, when you started saying East Europe Film Festival, I started in my head, honestly, I started thinking, okay, so I'm going to take some time off work and I'm going to have to figure out a way to get a COVID passport to go to where in East <laughs> Europe to go watch this movie. Um, and I'll, I'll try and figure that out. Uh, and, and, but then you said it's online, so I agree. It's online, yeah. And I'll I'll do my best to watch it. Oh yeah, um, definitely. You've you've got to watch it. I, I will encourage everyone to watch it. It's one of the, the better films that I've seen this year. It's 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 very, 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 very engaging and says a lot to a lot of people. It will say a lot to a lot of people. And he saw Suicide Squad this year, so that's uh, <laughs> exactly that's high praise. That is. That's great. Uh, what was the budget on Suicide Squad? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, ours was, you know ours was twenty you, grand. So. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> you see, for me to turn around and say to people that this is definitely a four. I mean, I'm saying a definite four. Whereas Suicide Squad was like two and a half to three, if you see what I'm, from my point of view. And I like my- Producer Dave, I'm gonna, I'm, hold on. Let me ask you, let me get you clarification. When we say Suicide Squad, do you mean Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad that you're giving it to? Yeah, don't even go there, Marcus. Please do not go there, Marcus. Please you know, don't I'll go fight there, you Marcus. After, I'll fight we, you after We, we can fight afterwards. But there's only one that there's only one Suicide Squad that we saw together, and you sure. know what I'm talking about. So, so that's why anyway. you address it as the Suicide Squad. Not moving, just suicide. moving on, moving oh on. It's <laughs> getting up in Suicide Squad. <laughs> it's getting. It moving on, <laughs> Philip. Since you've since you've had the opportunity to work with such a prestigious director, writer, mm. producer as Alistair McKay, uh, what next project are you? What project are you working on after this? Oh, that's an interesting question. So I'm actually, um, I'm doing a little bit of writing. So in in fact, I haven't got an acting project uh, planned as yet, although I'd certainly like to be doing a little bit as well as I do a lot of acting coaching at the moment um, up at the Leeds Conservatoire with the new screen acting department up there. But uh, yes, I'm basically peach- a pitching, peaching maybe even. I'm pitching a, um, a, a series idea an adaptation um of a short story writer gothic horror 
so I've, I've kind of put together a, a first a first season pitch for that. Uh, it's, is uh, Alistair going to have to audition to to either act or... <laughs> I'm or... not going to act in it. I'm not going to act I, in it. Interestingly I, enough, I, Phil and I have actually written a movie together. Mm. Okay. We have actually written... We did that well, it was a few years ago now. But yeah. um, we, did, we did write a movie together, so maybe we should pitch that one. Yeah, we and should. Now we're both award-winning. Yeah, Absolutely. well, Marcus will want a job. Marcus will want a job as an actor, and I will. I'll, I will go for. I'll put my hand up for an AD if you see what I mean. Yeah, so it's 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 the only reason I do this show. It's the only reason I do this show. I invite directors and producers and whatnot, and I say, oh, by the way, this I I act too. So uh, yeah, it's like a sort of giant networking opportunity, Marcus. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, this is the best way to do it. It's the yes, best way. To do it. It's like I help you. I promote your projects, and then you by casting me in your projects. So. So far, I've had one job from it, so uh, yeah. Well, I've been uh, on three times, and I'm not sure I knew that. So I don't think you're, I don't think you're pushing it enough, Marcus. I'm not pushing it enough. No, see, this is the thing. The reason why is because you know I have to be strategic about it, right? I have to make mm -hmm. sure I get you at the right time because anonymous, yeah. you'd already cast anonymous, and everything was already, it was already gone. So if I had pitched in and said, "Oh, you know what? I'd, you know, I'd love a part in it." That would be like you. You would easy. You would take the easy way out. You'd be like, "Oh, we would cast you, but we don't have anything yet." So if you said, "You know, we're going now. We're doing this new gangster flick or this period piece drama or whatever," I'd be like, "Oh, are there any positions for mixed mixed race, uh, thirty to forty something year old people?" Uh, if 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 yes, you know, I I can pass off as uh, you can you can audition for me anytime, mate. That even <laughs> fantastic. This is why I why I have producer Dave on the show. He's he's one of the best wingmen in the business. <laughs> I'm still looking for something for myself. But anyway, moving on, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, uh, Alistair and Phil. Want to thank you both for coming on the show and talking to us about Anonymous. Uh, like we said, anytime you have any projects that you want to come and promote, you're welcome on the show. Uh, Alistair, you've you've crossed the three uh, episode um, thre uh, threshold, so technically you're now family. Uh, actually, no, you're not family. It's 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 seven episodes that makes you family. You wow, are now take it away from me, Marcus. Just yeah. go on, right? <laughs> Jungle it out there and then pull it back. <laughs> See, if I, if I offered that to you as family, then we have guests like Ariana uh, Ryan and and Jenna Suru who who are racking in the double figures, right? right. That okay. they are they are proper family. They are okay. they are part of the show. So, so uh, I've got to get to seven. All right, okay. I'm, I'm, I'll keep. I'll put it in my diary. You're a bona fide friend of the show. So that's what you are. Uh, well. And Philip, since you've joined us, and even though this is your first time, you're also a friend of the show. So just, it's, a, it's a pleasure. If you if you find yourself talking about Marvel, uh, believe me, I'm your man. Just bring okay. me in. Next time Fantastic. we have a Marvel episode, we'll be contacting you. Okay. <laughs> very soon. Thank you very much for joining us. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Lovely. guys. Thank Lovely you. to meet you both. And that was our conversation with Alison McKay and Phil uh, talking about the film Anonymous, uh, which David had the pleasure of going to watch at the London Rocks Film Festival in Brixton. I didn't get the chance to watch that. I was watching, funny enough, uh, I was watching that same day, Eternals. So I didn't get to ask you this question, uh, David. Have you seen the Eternals yet? Marvel's no, Eternals? No, I haven't, actually. No, I haven't. Um, but... Um, I went with a couple of people to see the film and one of, one of them turned around and said to me, this is the, better than The Eternals, so um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool.
Okay. Completely so, different. Completely I'll, different. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll use I'll use five minutes. I think we I think we might have we got, a, like yeah, yeah we got minutes. we got a few minutes. Yeah, we got a few minutes. Okay. Let me let me let me talk the Eternals because the Eternals. Uh, let's see if it's controversial or not. Okay. So the Eternals. It, it again is the it's Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, is the latest edition in the Marvel Cinematic universe they now move into phase four where the films that have come out so far are black widow shang chi and now the eternal so black widow obviously focused on the uh the character scarlet you know the black widow played by scarlett johansson natasha romanoff um it, it's it was sort of a prequel to or rather it gets not a prequel because it's it's slide that film itself slides right in between um civil war and infinity wars so what happened to Black Widow in between Civil War and Infinity War. And it just it's using it just to be able to tell Black Widow's history and introduce a new character into the MCU. That's what Black Widow is all about. Shang-Chi. I'm sorry? It's a bridge between um, phase yes. three and phase four. Exactly, yes. Hmm. Then Shang-Chi is, is about uh, uh, the character Shang-Chi and his ties to... Uh, to his, well, his, his his family ties to the leader of the Ten Rings in Iron Man. There is a, there's the terrorist group in Iron Man that is the Ten Rings, and then in Iron Man three they introduced the whole idea of the Mandarin, who is the who is the leader of the Ten Rings, but it turns out it's fake that he's not really uh, the a terrorist leader and so on. But then there's a short film that's done that's been released where. They then really reveal that actually there is the Ten Rings, and then they kill a whole bunch of people in the prison and whatnot. Anyway, so the Ten Rings, uh, it, this Shang Chi focuses on the Ten Rings and introduces the main character of Shang Chi, who is now again another new hero in the Marvel universe. I haven't seen Shang Chi yet. I've seen Black Widow. I haven't seen Shang Chi, but I've seen Eternals. You don't have to have watched the previous two to have seen Eternals. Uh, to, to watch Eternals, but at least have an understanding of what's going on in the Marvel Universe. And Eternals essentially is a story where they introduce these characters called the Eternals, who are um, essentially the, the superheroes from space, where um, this the, the Celestials, these very big um, beings, huge beings, um, again, if you've been following the Marvel uh, Universe, uh, you they've mentioned the celestials at various points uh one example where they mentioned was in guardians of the galaxy the first one where they there's the floating head uh called nowhere uh, so it's a floating head of a celestial which is an actual small planet uh it's like a working planet they mine stuff with so that, that is one celestial another celestial was mentioned in guardians of the galaxy 2 ego is a celestial so ego um star lord's father is a celestial so they're big, big they're huge beings that have enormous power and the eternals in the in eternals this celestial has um created these um these superheroes called the eternals and sent them to earth at, in, pretty much in the 5000 bc to stop these creatures called deviants um the, that have been going around and killing people so the eternals were created and put on earth to kill the deviants, to stop the deviants from killing humans. That's basically the start of, uh, of the film. And it basically starts from 5,000 BC, and then it jumps back and forth between 5,000 BC and coming back in time and forward in time, and then to what happened after the snap and so on and so forth, so in present day. 
And so you get to see essentially the deviants return, if you will. And that's why they have to come out of hiding and, and carry on doing what they're doing. Um, so that's essentially, I don't want to talk too much about the plot. I just want to give that little bit as an outline so you understand what the Eternals is all about. Now, there has been a lot of, whoa, they, if you've been following in the news and in critics and such, there has been a lot that has been talked about the film Eternals, even before you get into the story of Eternals. There are issues that have been raised from various people, whether they're on the side of the Eternals or, or the film, on the side of Eternals film or against the film itself, has been raging about what the production has been all about. One of the main topics of the discussion has been the whole, the, the, the essence of diversity because again, with 10 superheroes being introduced in one go, at least 10 superheroes, um, one of the things that obviously Disney and Marvel have done is they've changed some of the characters uh, to represent, to be more representative, if you will. So they've included um, a, a deaf, one of the characters, I can't remember her name, uh, or the character's name in, in, the, uh, in the film, but in the comic books, it was a white uh, character, white man, uh, they've changed it to a a black, a deaf woman um, to add a little bit more in terms of representation, in terms of ethnic ethnic minority background, gender background, and obviously, uh, and you know, for the for the hearing impaired. Um, another character that they changed um, was I think Ajax also was a man, but they changed to a woman in the film played by Selma Hayek, uh, and so on. So they've done a lot of a lot of restructuring in that regards, and then there are a lot of elements as well uh, in terms of sexuality. For example, one of the Eternals uh, is it, it's shown in the film is is gay, and they show they share it as a, um, a, a gay it's a gay relationship in in the film, and is and and so on. And that basically has what's every time there is any any time there's a film that comes out. And there is some sort of either change uh, or a reflection on any of those kind of areas, race, gender, um, sexuality. One, those three are the three buzzwords, right? That will literally set any Twitter feed on fire. That's basically what it is. Even before you get into the story of the film, those three buzzwords are hit by this film, race, gender, and sexuality. And that caused a lot of fury with everyone talking about the film. So I've been watching and listening to a lot of, I don't want to say critics, just reviewers, right? There were a lot of reviewers even before the film came out saying the film is going to be terrible because it's like, how can you review a film and say it's terrible before you watch it? They're like, well, we've seen the trailer and all we can say, yes, you've seen the trailer. It's like me telling you, I show you a picture of, 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 uh, of you know, a dish and you look at the dish and it's like, nah, it's going to be horrible. Well, I mean, sure, you can look at it and say it might not look appetizing, but you can't say that it's going to look terrible because it could be delicious, nutritious. You should go and eat it. And then when you eat it and then you don't like it, then you can come back and say, I have eaten this and it's terrible. I've watched this movie. It is terrible. I, I'm not saying it's terrible. I, again, all cards on the table. I'm a Marvel fan. I'm an MCU fan. I love what they're doing, whatever they're doing. I would say in my listing of preferences, I liked watching the Eternals. I enjoyed it 
none of what they talked about, none of those three bits. And that's, again, that's my point. Those three buzzwords, race, gender, and sexuality, none of those caused a problem for me while I was watching the film. I did have problems with the film, but it was more, <laughs> it was story related. That's the thing. It was, I had problems with the film, but it was story. There were all my, all my problems with the film were story related, not to do with those three buzzwords, race, gender, and equality, and, uh, and uh, sexuality. Um, and, and so David, here's what I want to, I want to do because I know we don't have that much time left. I would like you to watch The Eternals so that we can have a sit-down discussion. An entire episode, from beginning to end, will be us dissecting The Eternals. We'll talk about The Eternals so I can give you what problems I had with it. I still think I enjoy, I, I still enjoyed it. If you ask me to go back and watch it again, I will happily go back and I'll watch it again. Uh, it, it's, it's, it is... Not that bad a film. There were problems story-wise. Again, I'm stressing that story-wise. Uh, in fact, straight after I watched it with Michael Lamara, a friend of the show, friend of mine for a while, actor. Um, we when we were walking out of the cinema and we were talking about it, and I there were various points where I said, "Look, this was set up nicely, but they could have executed it using this, and this story should have been done." And this, so I came out thinking they should have done this, they should have done this, they should have done this instead. Right. I still enjoyed it. I still really enjoyed it. But story wise, there were some things that need to be fixed. So what I want to do is I want to do an episode and we'll probably do it a little bit further down the line when more and more people have watched it so that we can do a proper spoiler episode because I have thoughts. <laughs> I have plenty of thoughts as to how, you know, story wise, it could have been fixed to deal with a lot of the story issues. With regards to those three buzzwords, race, gender, and sexuality, I had no problem with it at all. I don't care as to what they did with, the, with in those three aspects. Story-wise, on the other hand, I have tons of tons of thoughts. Okay. Do we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Fair but we won't do that now because obviously we need to wrap up because thank you all very much for having listened to me ramble quite a bit on a whole number of stuff. Um, and yeah, I always want to thank Resonance for giving us the opportunity to uh, come on the air and keep rambling about the stuff that we care about and not many more people care about as well. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. Speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.